We invite our children to be dismissed for their time of worship. I would love to introduce Dr. Bill Leonard to you, if only he were here. I was interested in his sermon title, Passing the Scroll, but he didn't mention passing the notes to the sermon on Passing the Scroll (laughs) when we talked yesterday morning, and he made the decision to not be here. So uh, more than ever, let us pray (laughs) that your living word might speak through words, words of choral anthem, words of scripture, words of sermon, Words that come to us in the silence of a moment such as this. O Lord, hear our prayer. Amen. Preachers have a saying that there's no such thing as a bad short sermon. Can I get an amen? Amen. Unfortunately, you're not going to hear that today. (laughs) Because shorter sermons take longer to prepare. You've got to... Cut it down to that which is essential. But I want to talk this morning for just a few minutes about what I think may be the shortest sermon in the Bible. When Jesus visits his home synagogue in Nazareth, they give him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he reads the text for the day. He sits down as a rabbi would and they wait. All the eyes are upon him and he says simply, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Nine words in English, that's, that's all there is to it. And yet this little sermon causes a lot of trouble. Or at least the post-sermon conversation did. There was practically a brawl in the synagogue. I mean, you think Highland's in the newspaper. How about the... How about the Nazareth Daily News? Can you imagine, you know, synagogue service ends in brawl. It began so well. In fact, it was kind of a hit. He finished what he had to say. And Luke tells us that they all were pleased, that he spoke such gracious words. All spoke well of him. Isn't this Joseph's boy? Well, I used to teach him in Sabbath school. He could make those little bulrushes that that Moses was uh, sent off in. He would make his to perfection. And yet Jesus, for some reason, doesn't bask in their adulation, in their pride in him. In fact, he does just the opposite, it seems. He pokes them in the eye. You'd like a show, is what he said. That's all you came for. You don't want to hear the real word of the Lord. You just want to say, doctor, cure yourself. Do tricks here like you did in Capernaum. You don't want to be reminded of the prophet. No prophets are honored in their hometown. A prophet who tells forth the word of God, articulates God's intention for the world, or to be reminded that sometimes God works outside of our nice little group here. You remember from your own scriptures, he said, How there were lots of widows in Israel, but he only came to the one who was a foreigner. There were lots of lepers in the time of Elisha, but he only came to the one outside of the fold. 
And the people were all like, oh, no, you did not just say that to me. They get mad, furious, and threaten to kill him and end the ministry of Jesus even before it really begins. Why did he provoke them? Why did, why did he do this eye-poking? Why was he asking for trouble? I want to suggest this morning that the point of Jesus' short sermon today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, the point of his sermon was being missed entirely. Missed entirely. The home folks were assuming that when Jesus read from the prophet Isaiah, that he was talking about them. And he certainly was talking about them, their salvation, their deliverance, how God comes to those in need. And so they wanted to just revel in their chosenness, in their goodness, their good fortune to receive the grace of God. But Jesus Christ came into the world to say, there's more. There's a catch. It's not just about you. It's about you. But it's not just about you. Grace also has a corporate implication as well as an individual implication. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me. I'm here to bring this stuff to life again. Good news to the poor, release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to announce this year of the Lord's favor. It's time. Let's get it going. Victor Hugo's Les Miserables has, of course, gotten back on the front burner of our culture these days now that it has come out in movie form with lots of movie stars. It's been popular for many years on Broadway. It's a long, thick, complex book, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of how, how many of us have made it to the end of the book, Most of us get far enough to know that opening story. It's a great story. A story that's probably been told in hundreds of pulpits across the land. The story of Jean Valjean, who after years of imprisonment is released but has nowhere to go, nothing to eat, no money, no resources. Destitute, he is taken in by a a kind priest But Valjean abuses the hospitality that the priest has offered him. Rather than just being grateful for a warm place to sleep, during the night he steals the silverware and escapes. Only to be caught by the police, red-handed with the silverware in his possession. The police brings Valjean back to the rectory where The priest is waiting and want him to confirm that indeed these items have been stolen from the rectory. So there stands the priest before Valjean and the police officer. They're waiting for the word to be said. Yes, this was our, these were our items. He needs to go to prison for the rest of his life. But instead, the priest is inspired to say a word of grace. He says to the police officer, oh no, 
These were gifts given to him. In fact, here are two more silver candles that you forgot to take. The police officer, perhaps a little suspicious, leaves. And then the priest sings these words to Jean Valjean. But remember this, my brother. See in this some higher plan. You must use this precious silver to become an honest man. By the witness of the martyrs, by the passion and the blood, God has raised you out of darkness. I have bought your soul for God. It's a beautiful story. As, as we preachers are prone to say, that'll preach. That dog will hunt. We love a story about grace. We know that grace is something that none of us deserve. That if we were to talk about our uh, ability to stand before God and, and plead innocent, that none of us could. We all need that grace moment to say, it's covered. It's on me. But if we stop there, if we stop there, as so many people do when they read Hugo's great book, we're being like the Nazareth synagogue crowd. We like the part that connects to us. But we forget to read the rest of the story. We're like uh, Javert, the police investigator, who's able to have grace and mercy and forgiveness for himself, but is unable to do so for everyone else in the story. For Les Miserables is not limited to private salvation, as important as that is. It goes on to tell the story of God's concern for all the world, for everyone. And so does the gospel. Jesus Christ did not come into this world just to save us as individuals, but to call us to this work of love today. And so this morning, I want us to hear the quotation from the lips of our Lord Jesus at two levels, two levels, if you will. First, on the personal level, on the spiritual level, if you will. Good news for the poor. Those of us who are spiritually bankrupt are glad to hear good news for us. Release of captive To the captives, well, those of us who are captivated by our our sins and by our habits and our addictions, what good news, what grand news for us, for those who are blind to the things of God, the capacity to see anew, to see ourselves, to see the world, to be able to see, as we said in the beginning of this hour from Psalm 19, the heavens are telling the glory of God. What a great gift. To let the oppressed go free. What a tremendous opportunity of liberation and life. And to believe in the day of Jubilee coming. When all debts, all sins are forgiven. I want you very much to hear this deep in your heart. And know that this is the reason that Jesus Christ came into the world. But it is not the only reason that Jesus Christ came into the world. In addition to hearing it on a spiritual level, let us also be invited to hear it literally. Yes, literally. 
When Jesus reads from the prophet Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He's talking about the poor. Those who don't have incomes or jobs or the ability to to gain a job that will provide a living wage. The church is being invited, called, to challenge the systems that leave too many people poor. Release to the captives. I think he's talking not only about those spiritually captive, but perhaps also those who are captive in a penal system that never lets them out. You've heard before this phrase, the prison industrial complex, where we have privatized for-profit prisons that invite prisoners or invite systems and patterns that keep people in prison. The church is being called to help find ways to release those who have been captive far too long, to help restore recovery of sight to the blind and all those who are impaired in any way, to provide medical attention, to provide help for those who are addicted, to let the oppressed go free, to talk about any time. A person's civil rights are being violated or human rights are being violated. We've got to talk about questions related to immigration. We've got to talk about the plight of refugees in Morocco that many of us have come to know and love. And then finally, this year of the Lord's favor. This reference to the Jubilee when all debts are canceled. Surely we've got to find ways where people can go, for example, to school without racking up loan after loan after loan. Surely we can talk as a global uh, family about national global debt. Surely we can talk about ways that everyone's life is seen as valued and sacred. Why? Because the Spirit of the Lord has come upon Jesus, the one we follow the one in whose name you and I are baptized in. In the musical Les Mis, the quote is made that to love another person is to see the face of God. Those words are followed with these lyrics. They will live again in freedom in the garden of our Lord. They will walk behind the plowshare They will put away the sword. So will you join in our crusade? Who will be strong and stand with me? Beyond the barricades, there is a world you long to see. Do you hear the people sing? Say, do you hear the distant drums? It is the future that they bring when tomorrow comes. This is what I'm here to do, said Jesus. And oh, by the way, if you follow me, if you're baptized in my name, that's what you're here to do as well. In the next hour, we're going to be discussing baptism. As Baptists, we believe that baptism is a symbol of our faith, of the grace received through Jesus Christ. But we also believe deeply 
That to be baptized is to be called into the movement of grace for all of God's children. All of God's children. I have a pastor friend who, when he baptizes people in his church, he says to them before he puts them in the water, remember, your baptism is also your ordination to the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So may it be. Let's pray together. As your baptized believers, we follow your son Jesus, O God. We receive his grace, unmerited. And we live lives of gratitude by speaking as individuals and as a faith community to all those places in the world where your kingdom waits to come, your will waits to be done here on earth as in heaven. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Hymn number